The scripture readings today are from Paul's letter to the Romans and his second letter to the Corinthians. Reading first in Romans 5, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Since we have been brought into a right relationship with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Continuing in 2 Corinthians 4 at verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal burden, glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. The word of the Lord. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, who tells us that we cannot live by bread alone, but only by every word that comes from your mouth. We pray for the life that you long for us to have and ask that you would feed us through the words that we hear in Holy Scripture and the word that is now proclaimed. Come to us, quench our thirst, and satisfy the deep hungers of our lives through the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to turn to the bulletin insert. I think you'll find it helpful. And if you're watching online, do download the sermon notes, which uh, are the same as the insert that folks here in the sanctuary have in their bulletins. Over the summer in our sermons, we've been focusing on basic Christian faith. I've called the series Contours of Faith because we're just kind of circling around some of the most important basic features of our life together as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, we talked about the Christian virtue of generosity, said that the God who speaks to us in nature, the God who speaks to us in Scripture, the God who speaks to us in the life and the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ speaks to us about love about self-giving, the self-giving of God to us, the self-giving of our lives to God and to one another in response. Often this self-giving, this love is inconvenient. Sometimes it's sacrificial. And that self-giving involves our time. It involves our talents, the giftedness of our lives. And it also, according to Scripture, involves our treasure. And what I hoped I conveyed last Sunday was this, that the theme of generosity with the treasure God has entrusted to us, the material well-being God has entrusted to us, is not peripheral to the teaching of the Bible, to the teaching of Holy Scripture, to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it's central. It is repeated. 
It's not the amount that matters. That's not what God is interested in because we're all at different places and stages in our lives. But it's the praying about our giving and our possessing. It's the trusting God with our giving and our letting go. It's the finding God's joy in the use of what we have, in the service of God and in the service of others. All of these are essential parts of what it is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ for every single one of us, no matter where we are in life. One of my favorite stories about giving comes actually from people who are in poverty, people suffering in Congo, in Africa. Retired missionary Howard Cameron tells their story like this. They're in the Lamette Presbyterian Church in Kinshasa where he met them in 1997. He writes this, on August the 1st, 423 women of this congregation gathered to commit themselves to prayer for God's blessing on Congolese refugees gathered in Kinshasa and to ask God's guidance in how they could meet the refugees' needs. These women are amazing. Their own needs are overwhelming. They have practically nothing. The average monthly salary, less than $10 in our money, doesn't allow for much of anything. The struggle to feed the family begins at dawn and continues until long after sunset. A change in the political situa situation could, in just hours, make them as well refugees in their own country, yet they do what they can for those who have been run out of their homes, who have less than those who do not have enough. From a nearly bare cupboard, a woman brings one of the three cups she has for a family of five. Another brings the shawl that she throws around her shoulders to ward off the early morning chill. Another woman brings a pot, another some food, another brings a small amount of money, another and another and another, all of them bringing a small something, 423 small somethings. They divided nothing between themselves and came up with a big something. They then took their something and shared it with the refugees. There were greetings, songs, prayers, conversation. It's called Kusamba Muntu which means to comfort and encourage someone who is suffering or grieving by surrounding that person with love and leaving something in their hands. Kusamba Muntu, comfort and encourage someone who is suffering or grieving by surrounding that person with love and leaving something in their hands. And then this is what he concludes. He says, the church of Jesus Christ doesn't shine any brighter than in this miracle. It's a great story. It's one that I come back to again and again from the time I first heard it about 20 years ago now. Great story, not only about money, but about suffering and God's work, even in the midst of suffering, enabling these women to triumph no matter what they were facing. And this is the subject that I would like us to think about today, the reality of suffering and how we cope with suffering and not just cope with suffering, but like these women, somehow, by God's grace and power, to triumph in it. Let me first of all say a quick word about the origin of suffering. Why a good and powerful God might permit suffering, well, does permit suffering in the, this world. Not only the smaller trials and tribulations of life, but some things which are truly horrible and truly indescribably evil. Holocaust, mass shootings, prolonged diseases, wars, famines. You know the picture. Of course, to this question, there is no easy answer. Theologians have been wrestling with it from the beginning of time, and 
Nobody seems to have the perfect solution which says, ah, that's the final word that needs to be said. So what I want to share today is just one way of thinking about God's action and allowing the world to be as it is that has helped me personally. I think of God as a parent. And it's in this context that I think of parents who come face to face with launching their children into this world. And the questions they and I as a parent have had to ask myself, do I want to keep my children as babies and children forever? Sort of yes, but not really. Do I want them simply to be an extension of myself with no free choice to become their own person? Sort of like me, but no, I want them to become their own free person. Do I want them to have a life that's totally safe? Yeah, I I wish wish they would have that. But deadly boring with no adventure in it? Mm, No, not exactly. So if the answer is yes to all of these, then I doubt we'll ever understand God if it's the, the safe game that is always being played. But if the answer is no, no, I want them to have their own life linked to me, but not me. I want them to grow. I want them to grow into adults, setting out on their own adventure, like Harry Potter or Bilbo Baggins. They may not be as safe as I would like them to be, but their life and their adventure is theirs. If that's our answer as parents, then I think perhaps we can begin to understand God just a little bit, who is defined as parent, our Father who art in heaven, defined as parent or defines what our lives are like as parents. But our understanding of God fits into that context and the risk that God was willing to make in creating the universe as it is. Not because he hates us or doesn't care for us, but actually the opposite, precisely because he loves us as those who have been made in God's image, and he honors us in this way. To eliminate all free choice would be to leave us as human beings who are loved, but not really human beings, puppets on a string, owned, controlled, never free. But to create free choice always carries within it an inherent danger if the choice is going to be absolutely real. Some choices, some experiences will not only lead to mistakes with some consequences, but sometimes if the choice is truly real to some things which are very far from God and involve evil and pain and suffering. And our reality tells us whether that explanation is helpful or not tells us that that's how it is. I mean, that is the world that we are in, where we have those choices. And the world is filled with risk as well as adventure. Dangerous, risky, often wonderful, glorious, beautiful, evil lurking beneath the surface, sometimes not seen at all, and then all of a sudden, wham, out it comes. And we see it in all its demonic force around about us. And suffering is a part of this and touches us at different stages and in different ways, touches all of us. To be sure, when it comes to suffering, back now, down from eternity to the world in which we really live, there are times in which we look at it and say, yeah, that's justice. That ought to be the way it is. When things sometimes are hard for some people, we say, well, they deserve it. Somebody digs a pit for other people to fall into, and instead of somebody else falling into it, they fall into it themselves. And we say, they just got what they deserved. They asked for that, and they got what they asked for there. Maybe a trivial example, but there are times in which we we go, yeah, 
yeah, that's justice there. But the book of Job in the Bible tells us that it's just not always that simple. Sometimes the righteous suffer, and there seems to be absolutely no reason whatsoever for that suffering, no rhyme or reason at all that we can see. And it's really that kind of a situation that I want us to think about in the next few minutes. When we cannot unravel the whys and the wherefores, when we are caught up as these women in Congo were in a war that was not of their own making, but they just happened to be there at the time, how then do we cope? How then do we triumph? What did they know and believe as Christians that you and I need to know and believe as Christians? So today I want to share with you three things which I hope will be helpful, three matters of faith that I hope will be helpful. They come from our scripture readings, both of which were written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in a city called Corinth in southern Greece and then to the city of Rome. Paul is the greatest missionary of the early Christian church, and his words are powerful not because he's a great missionary, but his words in particular about suffering are powerful precisely because he was a person who suffered enormously. These are not words that come from a theologian sitting in an ivory tower. They come from someone who suffered enormously and repeatedly for a prolonged period of time. I want to share with you, before I share what I think he is saying in our scripture passages, a little about his suffering that he reveals to the church in Corinth. So we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you go back to the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, this is how the Apostle Paul begins his letter, close to the beginning. He says, brothers and sisters, We do not want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia Minor, that's modern-day Turkey, for we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Some of you may feel that in your own existence, your own life, your own experience just now, but that's how he begins this letter. There is some turmoil going on, experiences he has had which are crushing. And then we skip to the 11th chapter, and he gives some details, not only of his suffering in Asia Minor, but in all kinds of different places, when he says, five times I have received the 40 lashes minus one. Well, once is more than enough. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, from my own people, from Gentiles, in the city, in the country, at sea, from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. Wow. Again and again and again and again. This is what he suffered. Yet in our scripture, we discover that this does not break his spirit in any way, shape, or form. Does not make him lose his faith in an almighty God who loves him. And the question is, how come? What enabled him? What understanding of life and of God enabled him to cope? And not just to cope, but to triumph. So I want to look at that, and I believe actually that these women in the Congo believe these same things as well. First thing that the Apostle Paul believed in that he shares with us in the passages of Scripture, you'll find them in your bulletin, but you'll also find them on the insert. And if you're watching online, 
These are on the download uh, sermon notes that you'll find there. The first thing that the Apostle Paul believed was this, that one day God would bring suffering to an end and had something wonderful in store. When it seems interminable, chronic, never seeming to go away, actually it all is encapsulated in God's time and that there's more. There's more to come beyond. Listen again to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We do not lose heart, he says. What a wonderful statement. Then he adds, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal burden, glory beyond all measure, heaven. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. It was Paul's belief in heaven that there is an act, too, that was a huge source of his strength and his ability to bear with suffering. The belief that God in God's time, which is rarely our time, would bring it to an end and had a new day in store for him. That enabled him to use this stunning phrase, this slight momentary affliction. It's really important to know that from a human point of view, that is absolutely what it was not that the Apostle Paul experienced. Nothing could be further from the truth. His suffering was ongoing, never-ending, enormously painful. But what he worked on was placing what he experienced in this other context, in what was not seen, and not just in what was seen. My guess is that the women in Congo believed this too, and in their fear, their poverty, and their suffering, they chose to see. They chose to see beyond that time and all that was happening within them and to believe that God was the God of time and there was more to come. And this, too, would pass. So that's the first thing that the Apostle Paul believed, and I think these women in the Congo believed as well. And then, too, Paul believed not just in heaven and the future, not just pie in the sky, by and by, when we die, but that God was at work even now in the midst of what was being experienced in the, in the present, through all that happened to him. Listen again to his words in 2 Corinthians and then in Romans chapter 5. It says this, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. God at work. And then in Romans 5, so we also boast in our sufferings. What a strange statement that is. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. God at work in the most unlikely places and ways imaginable. He believed this profoundly. The late uh, Dr. Kenneth Hildebrand points to God's work with us in suffering like this. He says, use an illustration of a violin. It says, the violin string lay in the showcase, indolent and free. The master purchased it one day and strung it across the bridge of his violin. It was dull and inert and gave no music to his touch. He tightened the string, straining it to breaking point until it was in key. Then, under the master's bow, it vibrated into life 
and burst into glorious song. Without the tension, almost to breaking point, there's no music in the string. Without the pressure on carbon, there are no diamonds that shine. And on a secular level, one of my favorite singers is Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac. And she once wrote this, that devastation leads to writing really good things. Devastation leads to writing really good things. So in providence, whether we understand it or not, since suffering exists, God chooses to use suffering, to incorporate suffering, to redeem suffering, to bring good out of the hard and the bad and even the evil. Though sometimes from our human perspective, we, we just don't see that. We can't see that. We're in the middle of it. We're not on the outside. And it's while we're on the outside that we need to think about these things and then find the strength to summon the resources to believe these things when we're on the inside and we cannot see clearly. But this is what the Apostle Paul believed in the midst of his suffering and what the women in the church in Kinshasa, I believe, surely believed as well. We see this, of course, most clearly in the person of Jesus, God taking what is evil and using it for good in his suffering and in his death. In his suffering and his death on Good Friday, God is at work. In this case, in a sense, not to perfect Jesus, the perfect one, but on our behalf, bearing our sins in his body so that we could live in a reconciled relationship with God, restored, redeemed, rightly related to God forever. Downright evil doing its worst, but God at work in the midst of it for you and for me. We don't always see what God is doing, but as a matter of faith, this is part of our trust. Leads me to the third truth that Paul conveys in our passages that inspired him. And it also has to do with our Lord Jesus Christ and his death on our behalf. The suffering that he faced on the cross. The torture that he faced on the cross. For as those who believe that Jesus is the divine son of God. God incarnate here on earth. What we come face to face with in the death of Jesus is the realization that God our creator not only makes the world in which suffering is possible, but enters this world and bears that suffering just as we do. But in the person of Jesus, he experiences suffering at its worst and can come alongside us when we're in the pit, when we're in the valley of the shadow of death or whatever valley we're passing through, as one of us, not just bearing it lightly, as if he doesn't really feel the pain, but as one of us, who knows what it's like. Romans 5. Hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. God's Spirit making the death of Jesus intimately connected with our lives as if God is right there with us, even in Jesus' suffering. At the right time Jesus suffered, it's as if God was waiting for this moment to suffer. That God created the universe and knows that in giving us free will, there is going to be suffering. But at the right time, in the right way, through the right person, he bears that suffering for us. 
so that we know the God in whom we trust doesn't merely dump it on us and leave us alone, but walks through the valley, the dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death or whatever it may be with us. So in the death of Jesus, hear the cry of God, which says to us, not only our sins are forgiven, but I am with you in whatever, whatever you face. There's power in the presence of another who has walked in a dark valley as well. The late Reynolds Price, who was longtime professor at Duke University, experienced the power of this kind of presence in facing cancer that for him looked to be fatal. In his book, Letters to a Man in the Fire, he writes this, in the years of my own confrontation with cancer, loss, and chronic pain, I repeat that I experienced fairly steadily the sense of being witnessed and accompanied almost always by what seemed to be God or a full-fledged messenger of God at an almost invariably silent distance, though some of these messengers were human beings of extraordinary foresight and practical help, but still messengers of God. And with that companionship, I was ultimately led back into a new and transformed life and work. And on a human level, if we know that God and suffering comes and walks alongside of us. On a human level, we've been called to do the same for others, and there's power in that when we do it for others. And we know when others have done that for us, we say, yeah, I wish God's time was my time and this were over, but here we are. Thank you for walking alongside of me. This is what those 423 women did for the refugees in Kinshasa. These 423 women, Howard Cameron writes, divided nothing between themselves, came up with a big something. Then they took their something and shared it with the refugees. There were greetings, songs, prayers, conversation. It's called Kusamba Muntu, which means to comfort and encourage someone who is suffering or grieving by surrounding that person with love and leaving something in their hands. This is our God. This is what God does for us in his suffering and in ours, coming to us, walking with us, and leaving with us the gift of mercy and love and all of eternity that lies ahead. All the whys and the wherefores of suffering may remain a mystery until the end of time, but down here on earth in the midst of bad news, we proclaim good news news from God through Jesus Christ. One, that God is the Lord of time, and in God's time, suffering will end. It may seem to be interminable, but God will usher in a new day and will bring us into that new day with him. This good news we also can believe in, that suffering, which at times seems to be so meaningless, is something that God uses as a tool by which he does his work. If it exists, God is at work. Whether we see the pattern of his work or not, God at work. While Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is providing the atonement for our sins without which none of us can live. And then third, the experience of suffering, not just something God dumps on us and then leaves us alone, but from all eternity at the right time, 
chose to show the depth of his love in suffering with us and for us in Jesus. May this good news give us power wherever you are in your life at this moment, not only to cope, but in the power of God's Spirit to triumph and so bear witness to the Savior who gave his life for us, who at the table we will hear of again, whose body was broken and blood shed for us. Let us pray. Holy God, come to us, we pray. Meet us where we are. Surface in our lives those places of pain and suffering and disappointment and prolonged agony and illness and help us to lay them at your feet. Please come, bring these things to an end, use them in your service, and grant us a deep assurance that you stand alongside us and know what it is like to live as the ones you have made us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.